0: Listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. Uh, we are back after a crossover show with the uh, Locked on Cardinals podcast. Last week was a lot of fun being able to look at the Cardinals from a slightly different perspective. Uh, if you're listening to us from there, you found through the crossover, or if you're a longtime listener to the ROTB pod, uh, welcome back. Uh, for those who are new, my name is Blake Murphy, uh, writer on Revenge of the Birds and the co-host of this podcast, Joe. Uh, joined, always calling in from his cell phone, my co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable. And uh, John, we kind of were dug to death for the most part, everything we could talk about with the Cardinals and free agency. We wanted to kind of take a slightly different approach today and go over uh, just some of the moves we see potentially happening in the NFL. Uh, especially when it comes to the quarterback position and the teams the Cardinals are going to face in the 2021 season. Before we get into all of that, uh, how are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing well, man. Good to be with everybody. My apologies for having to to call in today the poor audio quality, and I can share this now. Thankfully, uh, my family and I are in the process of, of relocating from the PAC Northwest, we live in Oregon and we're we're actually moving to the, the Phoenix, Arizona area, somewhere around there. We've got a, a place in Tempe for now. So long story short, uh been a long time coming. We're we're super excited. We've got friends, family there. Uh will be a, a nice change for, for my family and uh yeah, super excited. But yeah, outside of that, uh nothing nothing really changed outside of moving with two kids during a pandemic, Blake.
0: It just seems like it's the uh, brutal. It's a good thing, at least for you, obviously, of being able to kind of move back into Cardinals country. Obviously, you said it's something you wanted to have for a while. Some kind of goes uh, a little bit deeper than blood. It's good to be able to also have on the same time zone repeatedly, I think, will be nice for a lot of these things. So congrats on all of that. I think a lot of Cardinals fans will be excited uh, since that is going to be official. Uh, Let's go ahead and kind of jump into just some of the biggest news that we are seeing, uh, some of that I think starting with the fact that we've talked a lot about the changes in the NFC West that seem to be coming. Uh, Let's take a look, focus, and kind of start on the division, especially since we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, Some of the continuing breaking news, at least, is a kind of shift that you're seeing in the division. We talked about how Matthew Stafford has already been planned to be moved in. Jared Goff moved out to Detroit for the Rams. Uh, The Niners, we talked about how they've been kind of players in the Deshaun Watson market, but the overall price, just the way things have gone, they did seem to officially kind of say, hey, Jimmy G's kind of our guy, naturally, everything like that. Can change as we full well know heading into the NFL draft. Uh, the Josh Rosen is our guy thing. We're no strangers to that in the NFC West. The thing that's been strange, John. We talked briefly about how we expected that. You know. There was some reports and rumors that tides may be changing with Russell Wilson and his situation in Seattle. I think we both kind of expected that maybe it'd be more of a 2022 shift. Uh, Today, shift are breaking some crazy news. Wilson's camp has not quite requested a trade, but they're kind of phrasing it in a way of, Hey, like if you were going to trade me to say one of these four teams would not be disappointed. You had some news breaking on the athletic, how uh, seemingly from the Seahawks point of view about how Russ was getting upset with the team even walked out before the Cardinals Seahawks Thursday night game of a meeting it just feels kind of like you've got this relationship disintegrating and John if this is another quarterback that's potentially on the move this may be one of the crazier off seasons that we've seen and it would directly affect the Arizona Cardinals given that Seattle was your division winner last year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Blake. It it just feels like the Cardinals are owed a break in this division. And every time we look at the the news and there are impact players being dealt, they it feels like they always come to the NFC West. You know, Jamal Adams, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford now with the LA Rams. So it's just like, can the can the division and subsequently the Cardinals catch a break here? And while it's still very early in the process and i I compared this on twitter this, this morning to the deshaun watson situation but i said it was different because houston is so staunch against trading deshaun they want to keep him by any means necessary it's he that is trying to force the issue by all accounts and especially this athletic article it sounds like pete carroll and john schneider and company are at least entertaining the notion that well russell's in his early 30s what could we get for him and i think that by by most industry insiders, fans, media like, I mean, Russell Wilson is the Seahawks. He's the greatest player in franchise history. Pete Carroll had a losing record 14 and 18 prior to Wilson getting there. And since then, their worst season's been one instance of nine and seven when they didn't make the playoffs. Outside of that, they've just been phenomenal because of Russell Wilson. And so you look at why he wants to, you know, jet set out of the franchise, it's mostly due to the fact that he is not getting say on things like personnel acquisitions. You look at what has happened with our old friend Bruce Arians and Jason Light, and the empowerment that they gave Tom Brady. And you see these other quarterbacks looking at that, specifically Russell Wilson. And and Russell has been on record saying that you know he, he wants to view himself in the same realm as LeBron James and Tom Brady, and they have. What seems like almost complete say or input on personnel decisions on their team. Tom was allowed to bring in his buddy Gronk, Leonard Fournette, um, Antonio Brown. I, I mean, t- Tom got what he wanted, and they essentially went on to win the Super Bowl in part because of those acquisitions and the fact that he is such a team friendly coach and Bruce Arians or a player friendly coach. Jason Light was at Tom's mercy. And I think Russ is saying, listen, I'm every bit of, uh, of a player as good as Tom right now. And Seattle has made just, you know, say what you want about some of their additions and free agency. Their draft picks have been really poor. And so I, I'm sure Russell Wilson, in part because he's getting hit so often, is thinking to himself, like, if, I, if I'm going to prolong my career and I'm going to try to win another Super Bowl, you know, I, I think I, I should have a say in this. And, and Pete Carroll, since Paul Allen's death, this has been reported his sister has since taken over and is not as passionate as, as Paul Allen, the late Paul Allen was at, at running operations. And so they've deferred a lot to Pete Carroll and Pete has a lot of control now. And that has, that has not, that's rubbed Russell the wrong, wrong way. This is based on everything that I've, I'm hearing and reading. So I think that a divorce, While well, you would still say it's unlikely. I it seems like it's more likely right now, to happen in the Watson situation because of the fact that Russell and the team, no one is dismissing this. And I think that if Seattle gets the right kind of offer and Russell said, you know, he'll go to the bears, he'll go to the Raiders. He'll go to some of these contending teams, like the saints, the Cowboys. If you're the Chicago bears and your history at quarterback has just been just dismal historically, and you have a chance to get Russell Wilson. I I think that, some team is will put a will put a very interesting offer on the table that Seattle will at least have to consider. Now, according to Mike Silver of NFL Network, talking point is going to be 3-1 to, to at least get the conversation started. Russell Wilson's going to the Hall of Fame. He's a top three to five quarterback right now in the NFL, and it just seems like you know when do we get to a point with this whole thing where there you just can't you can't go back. It's the it, too much damage has been done. And, again, unlike the Watson situation where well, Houston wants to keep him, he's, in, he's 25 years old. They still view him as their long-term outlook at the position. You know, Russell being in his early 30s, and it feels like the team may have topped out already, like maybe the best thing for both parties is to try to move on. And I, I have no faith in ownership and leadership for Seattle to be able to, to run it back without Russell. I think that if, if, if they let him leave the division, I don't think they would recover from it ever, and I said that on Twitter, and I think that it would give the Cardinals some breathing room in a division while still very difficult and I expect San Francisco to upgrade a quarterback. I think Seattle immediately becomes irrelevant, and I think the Cardinals would very much be in a position to have a to overtake them in the division if if you get rid of Russell Wilson, I think the Cardinals move up to hierarchy and are competing for the maybe the second best you know team in the division but if if Russell Wilson sticks around they're always going to be competitive they're always going to be playoff contenders and the Cardinals just it it would be in their best interest for him to leave and and so I'm hopeful but you know until I see it happen or we get to a point where like Seattle is openly taking you know calls on Russell and it's it's inevitable kind of like it was with Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford
0: I I just would just kind of take a wait and see approach now. Yeah, the, John, it just feels like we're seeing almost a new type of NFL where we're talking about the autonomy of players in the NBA. And all of the way that they kind of recognized ever since LeBron James is like, hey, thanks, Cleveland. Like, I don't think I can win a title with you here. I'm going to go and take my talents to Miami. Just kind of the domino effect that we've seen and how the NBA has players swapping left and right, heading to super teams and back essentially in a lot of ways. Um, Just look right at the Anthony Davis franchise core player for the as a New Orleans Pelicans, ends up saying, yep, oh, want to play with LeBron in L.A., let's go. And they just end up getting a huge package from the Lakers, let them walk. They win a title there uh, in the wake, at least, of Kobe Bryant's passing of 2020. And you look, just like you said, even in the NFL this year, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, essentially, they had a solid team overall. You add in guys like, you know, they brought in, Damakong Su, they had Todd Bowles, who's kind of the MVP of that Super Bowl on defense. And then they go out and just, hey, we're going to bring back Gronk. Hey, we're going to bring Antonio Brown off the street. Hey, they made sure that they were the team that Tom Brady headed to. And I think that maybe is giving a lot of teams some pause because it used to be the model in the NFL is you work on building a team through the draft. And then when you're kind of ready to make that move, you pull out your... Uh, you know, rookie quarterback contract. You saw that with the Eagles and Wentz. You saw that with the Chiefs and Mahomes. And then you kind of go and spend, spend, spend for a Super Bowl. You bring as much as you can while they're on that rookie deal. Or Patriots approach. Tom Brady took less every single year to keep some of those free agents around. But it always was kind of starting with building something strong through the draft and having that team established. With how Tampa Bay went around with... It was essentially four or five years of Atlanta and New Orleans trying to, you know, get to a Super Bowl, and neither team, especially the Saints, with Drew Brees on an aging contract, didn't get it done. Bucks in their first season did by kind of building a huge super team around Tom Brady. It makes me wonder if Russell Wilson's taking a look, and if there's other quarterbacks like him, Deshaun Watson, they're taking a look at these teams and saying, hey, like, I don't necessarily have to be married to this team for, you know, the next 40 years or so. If they're running this ship poorly or if I disagree with the direction that they're heading, if I'm not getting the same level of input or control that I want, I'm out of here. And I'm just going to put a fuss up, say, here are the teams I want to go to for the opportunity, and then force your way out just like how we're seeing in the NBA. And that's something I think, John, that we've not seen that be the case for Uh, The NFL in terms of with everything in the league has been kind of built around, you know, keeping players with their teams. We talked about how the franchise tag was always considered a way that, hey, if you've got Kirk Cousins, don't know if you want to pay him. You've got Dak Prescott. You can keep him around on the two year franchise tag and then still offer the guy a long term deal or at least get some compensation for him. And I think maybe what's changed is we're starting to see enough younger quarterbacks making a difference that a lot of these teams are looking at these 30-something-year-old QBs and say, hey, either we go and get one of these veterans to go after that Super Bowl or we just say, all right, we'll just keep driving the price up. Teams will pay an exorbitant amount. Uh, just looking at the two first-round picks a team gave up for the likes of Matthew Stafford, you know, there's been mention of could a team give up, you know, four first-round picks or three first-round picks and a defensive player for Deshaun Watson. Russell Wilson, they said, like you talked about, John, being at three firsts, a lot of teams are looking at seeing, hey, it's a young man's game. There's enough solid quarterbacks coming out of college football that you can pay the talent around this rookie and kind of almost retool and let some other team reap the rewards of a veteran. And I think that on some hand, John, like you said, it's almost kind of a little bit of a backwards type of thinking. We've talked about how difficult it is to find franchise quarterbacks in the NFL Now I think it's maybe teams are wondering and saying, hey, like, what's really the value of having a quarterback that we're having to, you know, put 40% of our salary cap for, of having to kind of be bossed around? It's just a very unique situation, I think, that the league is finding itself in for the first time, Not, not just to mention... You know, you can look at the salary cap situation. We talked about how the Saints already are having to shed contracts, retool. Maybe if they're going to extend, some players have to kick the can maybe four or five years down in the future. With Russell Wilson, if he was traded, I believe it was traded to a team before June 1st of this year... That's going to be a thirty-nine million dollar dead cap. They only save seven million now. If they do it after Jones yeah, first, and they kind of designate some of that, then you're basically having a thirteen million dead cap. You're punting, you know, nineteen million or so to twenty twenty two, just trying to kick that can down the road. It's kind of a yikes. But as we've seen, like the Rams took on Jared Goff's dead cap. They think they got a better quarterback out of it. The Eagles were more than content to get what looks to be a uh, second round pick. Uh, potentially a first-round pick for trading Carson Wentz to the Colts. So that happened in between our last show and now. And you look at the Seahawks, if they do end up getting off of this and the Texans, it just makes it kind of reinforce the idea that ultimately, the way that we view the salary cap, teams can kind of play with it as they will. You only really kind of get in trouble in terms of, If it's going to be a one-year, you're so completely depleted, you've got no talent and no say, and your head coach and GM are both out the door that season. That is something I think that we saw with the Steve Wilkes era. That's something that we've seen with maybe a few one-and-done teams. John, it's not something I think that's going to be the case at all with Pete Carroll or John Schneider in Seattle. Like you said, it is really Pete's show up there. I think the big question overall, and I think we can talk about some of this, is what kind of is then maybe the future of the quarterback position When it comes to the Arizona Cardinals and the likes of Kyler Murray, who is we've kind of seen was he plays a piece in all of this, too, where the Cardinals almost reverse kind of instead of saying, hey, I want to, you know, get this quarterback, move from where they're at to a new place. Instead, it was kind of the opposite. Kyler Murray moving into where the Cardinals had just drafted Josh Rosen in the first round a year before. A lot of that driven by Cliff Kingsbury. But I think quite a bit of it also when you're looking at the talent level that Kyler was, you know, he, he didn't pay back that $5 million in baseball to be the number 2 or the number 4 pick in the NFL draft. He was a guy who obviously is competitive, went number 1 overall and felt that he deserved it after being overlooked for a number of years in college. So, where does this leave the Cardinals when it comes to Kyler because is this a spot where if the Cardinals aren't improving in the next few years are we going to be Talking about our Russell Wilson or Deshaun situation, I think that there's a possibility of it because right now, John, loyalty seems to be an aspect in the NFL that teams are not having it to players. We've talked about before, Cardinals moved David Johnson as soon as he had one bad season, but are players now turning to be not as loyal to their teams and what will be some of that fallout?
1: Well, if you've been listening to this pod at all for the past eight weeks, it's something that I've... I've been on for a little while and I think Kyler Murray could absolutely pull a Deshaun Watson or a Russell Wilson. I don't think it's a, <clears throat> we're not going to turn it into the NBA because I think only one position has leverage in the NFL and that's, and that's quarterback. Um, and I think that owners are going to soon find out that if you're not making your quarterback happy, things can get ugly quickly because literally no other position matters well, no other position in Vegas is worth more than a point other than quarterback. So you get these young quarterbacks who have expectations and they see ineptitude, rightfully so, at certain aspects of the franchise, whether it's head coach or GM, you know, skilled players or defensive players not performing up to, up to snuff. I, I just think that we're going to enter a movement with quarterbacks that we haven't seen before in previous decades because it was always like, if you play well, you're going to get franchised and get a long-term deal. I mean, like, teams have controlled the rights for quarterbacks my entire lifetime, dating back to when the NFL was first, you know, constructed. I think now, even with the franchise tag and everything else going on, I think teams are going to have to pivot off quarterbacks quicker if they are shown to be incompetent, if they haven't been able to show to them consistently that they're going to produce a winner. And in the Cardinals' case, Listen, I, I still think that Kyler Murray is going to be their quarterback long term. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I do think that he could potentially leverage this team because of such poor, you know, draft um, draft picks by kind personnel decisions. And if let's face it, if Cliff Kingsbury wets the bed next year and doesn't perform well, yeah, he's going to probably lose his job. I would fully expect Kyler Murray to potentially have a say as to who's going to be the next head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I think that. We've seen now the blueprint on how not to do this by Houston, and hopefully Michael Bidwell is taking note. I also think that subtle, not so subtly, Kyler Murray has made it clear that they, he wants the team to continue to address the offensive line. Steve Kime alluded to that on his weekly radio hit. Kyler Murray consistently retweeting like very high-level interior offensive line play. Um, and so like that's something that he's keen on. You know, while we talk about, oh, they got to get better receivers, their defensive personnel has got to get better, Kyler's pretty staunch on that. And while, yes, I think he was the second-least-hit quarterback in the NFL, he still took a couple shots late in the year, specifically in Week 17, that, that put him on the shelf and cost this team a postseason victory, So, or a chance to get to the postseason, I should say. So I, I just think that, you know, when push comes to shove, the Cardinals, if they if they want to be a consistent contender – Kyler Murray needs to be on their team, and for him to be on their team, they need to match his level of excellence. I wrote an article maybe like last year, 12, 13 months ago, stating as such that the Cardinals are on notice because they can't just be – like the days of – and I fully believe this – the days of franchises having like Matthew Stafford be hidden at that, you know, 10 o'clock Easter – or excuse me, Pacific time game on Fox every week and he's the best-kept sec- secret in the NFL, these quarterbacks who are great, but they're playing for losing franchises for 10 to 12 years, I think that's gone. I think that you get a, you get so much finite amount of time with your quarterback, and if your quarterback is producing, but you're inept as a franchise for whatever reason, and you don't address it, the quarterback's going to demand a trade. And, you know, give credit to Watson and give credit to some of these guys that are that are being the – trailblazers for that. I mean, like, shoot, if I was a high-level quarterback and I, I was a high, you know, draft pick, I went to a perennial power at the college level, and then some crappy NFL team got my rights. Let's say Trevor Lawrence just comes in and lights it up, and I get it. Not, most of the time, quarterback stats are affiliated with, with wins, but we saw this year Kyler Murray had 37 touchdowns in something like 13, 14 games, they, and the team underperformed. And let's say next year he does better statistically, but the team misses the playoffs again. Like, whose fault is it? So I just think that you, you, get, you get these kids that come into the league and are used to winning. Kyler Murray was used to winning. He never had a losing record at any level. He didn't lose a game at the high school level. Uh, at Oklahoma, he only lost two games, and one was in the college football playoff. I mean these guys come in and they want to have success early we've seen that with certain guys they look at Mahomes they look at Watson they look at Wilson they're winning every year Kyler Murray sees those individuals as his equal and he's playing for a franchise that's run by an owner that they've never won a championship I like Michael Bidwell but they historically they've never won a Super Bowl he's got a GM that's consistently on the hot seat for poor personnel decisions specifically in the draft and he's got a college coach who he likes but is really kind of the, the root joke of why college coaches can't succeed in the NFL, that he never won more than seven or eight games at Texas tech. So I, I don't think Kyler is, is going anywhere, but I think you would have to be completely blind to not see what's happening in the NFL. Now in the minute, either Watson or Wilson or, or both gets dealt. I, I think it just, it represents just the kind of changing of the guard in the NFL that any of these players could get moved. And Watson specifically, if he gets dealt at twenty-five, which is unprecedented. Say what you want about Wilson, he's in his thirties. The team at least seems kind of open to it. They wouldn't mind the soft reset. Like Watson is an untradable asset in the NFL, given his position and his age. If he forces his hand and just says, "I'm sitting out. I'm not playing. I will never play for you," and he gets them, gets them to deal him away, then anything is possible. And I think Michael Bidwell needs to be completely different. I would agree in terms
0: of looking at it. I think you even mentioned the f- weird fact to think about is all this Deshaun Watson talk, but like you said, The age gap and how good Watson is, the fact they just paid him this big contract. We know that the NFL is going to be expanding their overall uh, salary cap as soon as the new TV deals go, as soon as fans are allowed back en masse into stadiums. And he's already under contract for quite a while. Russell Wilson is a guy who probably would be demanding at some point a new type of deal, you would assume. Just because it's already, you know, this is the guy who was under contract and then essentially used a whole bunch of rumors about, you know, wanting to go to New York with Ciara and the Giants and essentially negotiated himself a new deal. It was almost kind of like we we talk about how every few years running backs essentially realize, oh man, like there's no money outside of guaranteed money. You got to make sure you keep getting some of that guaranteed deals knowing if you're betting on yourself and the team just cuts you, that's pretty much it. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins even he was a guy who ran out of guaranteed money on his deal just wanted to get an extension from the Houston Texans Bill O'Brien was having nothing of it and (laughs) turns out that he ends up in Arizona I think that there's one of these situations you look at as far as until teams realize hey like either we have to give out a fully guaranteed contract or we could just take a look at everything that the salary cap does and how we can play with the cap and be able to negotiate and maneuver to be able to fit in as much as possible. That, I think, is what teams will want to keep because they'll be able to then fully push this super team idea, not having to worry as much about, you know, like the... we kind of look at the Rams essentially trading all of their picks to acquire premium talent and then relying on said talent and hoping they can find enough depth to be able to, you know, field a complete team. If this goes down, we're talking about kind of an era where, you know, the... All of these different teams and quarterbacks who have a guy who hit, like you said, Trevor Lawrence, some of the other players who are there. If things kind of are being game on, you suddenly start to look at whoever's going to be then the organization that shows competency and is a place to be desired and has a quarterback that's either there in place or builds up a team that's just missing a quarterback, that will be kind of what determines who's going to be strong in the NFC. And John, this is, I think, like you said, why this is an important season for the Cardinals because... You look at how Matthew Stafford, he picked the Rams as a place he wanted to play, felt that they were a playoff team that just needed to get an upgrade at quarterback. The Niners are a similar team. It's part of why we talked about how they were linked to Watson. The Cardinals and Seahawks are in kind of similar boats. The Seahawks have been going through, obviously, much more of a retool and have managed to still be winning at a much more consistent pace. Pete Carroll does seem to get the most out of his players year in and year out. But a lot of that team, like you said, does function around Russ. If he moves to that team now, the teams that we can go over here are, uh, he has said that there's specifically four teams from what Adam Schefter's report was, the Dallas Cowboys, the New Orleans Saints, the Chicago Bears, and then the one AFC team, the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, what I thought was interesting, John, was you could probably make an argument that each of these four teams Had a either was a playoff team or was just outside of the playoffs. With the exception of Dallas, who went 6-10 and and probably would have been almost guaranteed a playoff team if not for Dak Prescott getting injured and going down. So that's one thing that you can look at as far as each of these four teams has different things that you can offer. The Cowboys, for example, with Dak Prescott, if they wanted to do some sort of you know franchise Dak, swap him, get a 28-year-old quarterback to the Seahawks, that's an asset that you'd be able to offer. Uh, and most people around the NFL are not expecting that to be the case, and Dallas is obviously a big-money team, big-money franchise. It's in a very weak NFC East right now. <laughs> You're talking about, you know, the, uh, you know, that's a division where if Dak Prescott didn't play last year, we were talking about Jalen Hurts as a rookie potentially winning the division. Chicago has an elite defense. They've got at least a solid offensive line uh, similar to Dallas. The thing that's interesting, John, at least is – You look at the Las Vegas Raiders. They're in a division with Mahomes, with Herbert. They've not been one to be shy by any means. They're a big trade, talk big, very much kind of this, uh, uh, as far as with Gruden and Mayock, they would be kind of one of those splash type of teams. They've got Derek Carr as a... Guy, and I know we can talk a bit about that. The one that's curious, I want to hear your thoughts before you talk about Las Vegas is how would New Orleans even do this with some of their cap? Would it just be one of those cases where, you know, we just see them gut their entire team for the most part, gut a whole bunch of picks? Or are we kind of looking at some of these salary cap restrictions? And if the Saints do pull this off, we may have to kind of rethink some of the ways that we structure this. I mean, Chiefs, are crying out loud, are keeping Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, and all this other talent on their team Despite paying Mahomes, you know, half a million dollars in contracts and he can renegotiate. What are some of your thoughts on if Russ ended up trying to force his way to a star team like the Saints with all the talent they have there? What would that kind of say as far as, you know, just for a team like the Cardinals that has not really been able to develop a lot of the star talent? The Saints, see Drew Brees retire, would go get a guy right away even with all the cap issues. And then you can talk a little bit about what's some of what you heard specifically about the Raiders.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, it was speculated this morning, but I think you, the Saints would have to just gut their future draft picks to Seattle, right? And then you could include... Michael Thomas in a deal. His cap number is almost twenty million this year. There's already speculation that they regret that deal and they'd like to move off of Michael Thomas. Now Seattle's got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf already, but maybe you could convince them to do that. I also think it would be unfortunate for the Cardinals' prospects of getting Marshawn Lattimore, but I could absolutely see Marshawn Lattimore be a part of that deal for Russell Wilson uh, on essentially his fifth year option at ten point two million. Um, and so I just it's, it's interesting. Uh, to me at least Blake, I just New Orleans has a such a talented roster and they have all their cap cap uh, space, excuse me, their draft picks in place. I, I think they could put together something that would make Pete Carroll and John Snyder happy for at least a year. Um, you know, with tayson Hill could they get could they convince them, hey, do you want Taysom Hill for a year for a bridge? And then you could go out and you know draft your own guy this year, developmental guy? somebody like Marcus Davenport, who has been just okay, but a former first-rounder with a low price tag. Um, they, Their they're, they're roster with Andres Pete and Ryan Ramchek. I, I doubt they'd want to deal any of their premium offensive line players just because of what's gone on with Russell and his demands for better offensive line play. But I think, listen, Sheldon Rankins, any of the front seven players, I think would really entice Pete being a defensive coach. You know, Kamara only at $5 million. There are There are options for them. Um, I don't think it's likely. I I think that New Orleans to me is just in a position where I do think that they're going to try either to have because right now it seems like Breeze could come back, um, which is crazy given how he looked last year. I also think that they, maybe they want to try a whole season with Jameis and or uh, Taysom Hill. Um, I the team to me that should do everything in their power to get Russell Wilson. And I'm from Chicago. I know the the status of that the quarterback position historically for this team, but the Chicago bears to me, I would make every player available. I would say you can have X amount of future picks. However, allowed me to trade into the future. I just think that that team is so they're so desperate because I, I do think there's a sense of Blake. Sean Payton feels like he can get high quarterback play from a lot of folks. Not that they wouldn't be interested in Wilson. The bears are in such a desperation point given the, where they're going to be picking in the draft, given the options that are available in the free agent market. They don't have the draft capital that Houston would want for Watson. I think it would take less draft capital for somebody like Russell, which is crazy to say, but he's a little bit older. Uh, I would be talking to, to Seattle about it, whatever they wanted defensively. Eddie Jackson, God forbid, Cleo Mack. Maybe they could you know, swing over our old buddy Bobby Massey to play right tackle for Seattle. Just what Roquan Swift, I'd be I'd be throwing all those names, and I'll say I'll give you two of these guys, and then maybe, you know, a couple future first. Chicago to me should be the most desperate. I have no idea if you know. I would imagine they're interested, right? And uh, teams are already starting to leave voicemails. It's been reported for Watson, but to me, that's the team that has complete desperation. The Raiders are an interesting one. And Las Vegas, to me, is kind of the wild card in this whole approach because I listen to a lot of Bay Area talk with John Middlecoff and, and Guy, um, um, and they, they give a really nice breakdown of where the Raiders kind of stand with Derek Carr. Derek has played, I think, probably two or above average these past two years with Gruden, but Gruden is still tempted to, to improve upon the position. And his cap number of 22 million this year is relatively small. And I know teams have called on Derek Carr and Oakland or Las Vegas has basically denied them of, of his availability. I think the only way they move him is if they can get a Watson or a Wilson. And they've kind of leaked it out that he's available in those instances. Um, Even though the Raiders offense really isn't the problem. It's their defense that was historically bad last year. But I think it, I also think Derek, to seattle is probably the best case scenario for the seahawks even though he's 30 years old even though you know he's not necessarily a cold weather quarterback rainy quarterback he's got smaller hands coming out of the out of fresno state i i feel like if you're going to try to sell it to your fan base that we're going to reset but we're going to get we're going to get slightly younger much cheaper we're going to get assets and we're going to be able to compete right away is if you were able to bring back Derek Carr. Derek Carr doesn't scare me. Like, I'm sure he doesn't scare you, Blake, like, like Russell Wilson. Um, he, he certainly is, is very competent and is a franchise quarterback, but there's only one Russell Wilson. So even if the, the Seahawks were able to, to get back Derek Carr, who had a career year last year, 27 touchdowns, nine picks, and, like, you know, multiple ones, I, first of all, Seattle's front, front office has done an egregious job in the first round of the drafts. I, I would say dating back to like somebody like Earl Thomas, uh, their their first round picks have been horrendous. Um, they they make Steve Kime look look like an all pro
0: draft. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's true.
1: But I do, yep. I do think Derek Carr to me, th- like that's the one where if I woke up tomorrow and it's like Derek Carr and you know three first rounders for Russell Wilson, that would not that would not surprise me at all, and that would make the most sense. I don't know like in the grand scheme of things, Russell Wilson can cover up a lot, but I, I just think you know, Las Vegas needs so much help on the defensive side. But what do they do have? They've got an above-average offensive line. They've got an all-pro center on Rodney Hudson. They have some nice skill position players in Hunter Ruffro and the rugs from Alabama and they've got don't don't forget Darren Waller is a huge
0: threat that would be uh something that we noticed at least with Russ was Seahawks made that big trade for Jimmy Graham in part because they were wanting to get this big end zone target guy who was a mismatch and he just did not work out the same injuries factored in a lot of it like you said the Seahawks when it comes to the first round one of their last couple of first round draft picks we know even Joe about it coming into the season. LJ Collier was a first round defensive end slash linebacker for them to kind of be their Pass rusher and Rashad Penny was a guy who's you know probably a third round level running back that they took in the first and hasn't even been able to start. They've just been running Chris Carson out there for probably way past the time where he was going to be most effective. Still, great running back, but the fact that their best edge rusher we said was Jamal Adams, the safety that they traded two first round picks for and then had to pay, and we even saw Adams was a great player for their defense, but it wasn't like he was this kind of generational or, like, it wasn't a defensive changing maneuver because there was still a lot of holes otherwise on the team. You ended up seeing, like, how Nick Bosa had that kind of transformation for the Niners when they had him next with Richard Sherman on the outside. You saw a great level of play, but you just didn't see the Seahawks have... Uh, enough as far as being able to justify, and they still got to pay the guy after all. So that'll be interesting to find out. Like, if if you said that the Seahawks suddenly don't have Russell Wilson and their GM now has multiple first-round picks, (laughs) it would almost be like it'd be a win for Arizona. So, yeah, get get them all the first-round picks you want, guys. Yeah, that's
1: right. Listen, their acquisitions outside of Russell have been average since the Marshawn Lynch trade. They had that stretch when Pete was fresh out of college and they had an advantage early on because Pete could target day three players that he recruited that would turn into just these all pro players, you know, the strong safety, whose name escapes me, um, was, is one of those, the kid from Virginia tech that was great for them for so long, but they just had all these examples of being able to find value late in the draft. And then they would deal premium picks for guys like Percy Harvin, which were kind of the cherry on top for when they were, playing with Russell on his rookie deal. And it all kind of worked together. And then, of course, they got Marshawn Lynch for a couple of days. I think it was like two third-rounders. So they they hit on a bunch early on. And then since then, what has it been? It's been Russell Wilson and just, yeah, they get a locket on occasion. They lucked into Medcalf and some of these other players. But they don't have first-round impact talent, so they dealt away picks for Jamal Adams. Same thing with, with uh, the L.A. Rams. It's just like either – and I think part of it too, Blake, is they feel like – well, with Russell, we're consistently going to be picking in the 20s anyway, so why not trade away these picks? What would be interesting, though, is that you know if they, if they acquire somebody like Derek Carr or somebody else like that, they're going to be picking higher pretty soon. I mean, they're not going to be a consistent, I don't think, a consistent um, Super Bowl contending team. I think they'll be a middling team with a fledgling defense that has consistently eroded based on the quality of, of personnel that they have. They're going to have to pay Jamal Adams. That's another thing, too, is like they've got limited cap space moving forward. So this would actually be to their benefit, shedding Russell Wilson's cap, adding Derek Carr for, you know, pennies on the dollar as a comparison, you know, paying Jamal Adams, which they now they kind of back themselves in a quarter now with with the price they spent to to acquire them. But then also, um, you know, having to pay somebody like DK Metcalf. So they've got some issues coming up here. And I just think it's so interesting that we have not heard from John Schneider or Pete Carroll come out publicly and say, like, we love Russell. We have no intention of trading him. He's the face of our franchise, greatest franchise player ever. Like, you would think if they were set on keeping him, that would come out. And who knows? Maybe it comes out tomorrow in lieu of this news. But all that we've heard today is the Seahawks tried to be reached for comment and there's just no comment. So, I mean, like, I feel like this is still unlikely, but I also think it's it's more likely than I would have, been led to believe a couple of weeks ago I think that to me it was just you know similar to like what you mentioned when he was trying to get a new contract but also like the idea of going and playing for New York it was just that time too but now it just seems like there are some real issues here the the athletic article showcased a, a scenario right before the Cardinal game on Thursday night when the Seahawks were fledgling and the Cardinals were playing well Russell tried to intervene on a personnel something happened and basically stormed out of a meeting because like they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And it's like that, that never happens to somebody like Tom Brady. I mean, I, I, the fact that they have to, that, that to me, the ultimate sign of disrespect, which means this has been festering for some time. Um, And I'm sure Russell's wife, everybody in his ear, rightfully so are saying you're the glue to this franchise. This franchise was on the brink of irrelevancy before you got here you know pizza 500 or less coach at the NFL level without you um they don't know what you have and they're probably right and so what I would just you know cautiously say to Cardinal fans is let's just see how this plays out even if even if Deshaun Watson ended up in San Francisco if they could somehow get Wilson out of the division it immediately makes this in my opinion based on what I've seen from Schneider and Carroll over the, like the past five to seven years It immediately makes the Seahawks relevant. It'll be interesting to find out,
0: John, just because Pete Carroll, and not just with the age, the other aspect, the Seahawks have been almost the quintessential team that wins gritty. Like, they aren't a team that blows guys out a lot. Sometimes you'll see them put up, you know, 40 points on a team like, um, you know, the uh, pathetic team at least. And then the next week they'll, like, you know, Get shut out by the Giants or something like ridiculous, but they still, for the most part, are a team that you know it was gritty, wins late, always was strong with their run game. Last year, it was fascinating to see how uh, essentially Brian Schottenheimer had the whole let Russ cook movement, they started passing the ball a lot more, moved away from being this run first heavy team. Uh, moved somewhat away from some of the bootlegs and really got a lot of these deep shots. And you look at that uh, essentially big 12 game between the Cardinals and the Seahawks this year, where you had these deep passes to Tyler Lockett tons of yards in the game. And then it all seemed to shift in the second half of the season where it seemed like teams almost started saying, all right, we'll take away the deep ball. And we know that you're going to try to run the ball this way. We don't believe you're going to be able to run the ball effectively on us. And, kind of forced russ to have to make some of these intermediate throws and forced him to essentially have to get rid of the ball quick and that's not something he's ever really done we've talked at least a bit about how kyler murray improved his ability to take less sacks from his rookie year that's not something that russell has done and that's something that russell is almost kind of blaming his team for is hey it's like there's almost been a lack of awareness that you guys have had about how Uh, i just keep taking hit after hit. I've been like the most sacked quarterback since I was drafted, but guys, I need to get protection and probably get I think in a lot of ways, wanted to have some more emphasis on what he wanted to do in the offense. And a lot of that seems to be how we saw at the end of the season, uh, Keith Carroll, let go of Brian Schottenheimer felt like they wanted to get back to running the ball and having that type of mentality. Maybe some of that is Russ basically not being utilized as well as the elite talent he is. And, Some of it, John, maybe is the fact that Wilson is a guy who holds onto the ball long, runs around, can scramble a lot, and does take a lot of pretty big or deep sacks as a result. He also will make you pay with some of these amazing throws off platform, and uh, there's a kind of a, I guess, a push and a pull you can put to it. What I think is interesting is that Deshaun Watson is kind of the same way in his ability. Here's kind of maybe uh, – I don't know if we can do this before looking at the rest of the teams because there's some fascinating stuff I'm going to talk about with uh, a stat just on quarterback movement here in a sec. But uh, the I guess you could say maybe nightmarish scenario that I could think of, John, is uh, right now we haven't seen any talk about or any connections, but what if Houston with Watson and Seattle with Wilson kind of saw something in common there? What if you saw Seattle was the one who decided to say, hey, we'll give you guys a twenty uh, twenty one first first round pick to Houston and Russell – you give us Deshaun, and then we'll take your 2022 first, kind of, and maybe then at that point with the, you know, older quarterback of Russell Wilson, Seattle gives the 2023 first-round pick uh, back to Houston. Or, you know, maybe it's two first-rounders, at least their 2022 second as well. Houston gets now all of a sudden, hey, we got a pick this year, two picks next year, and we got Russell Wilson. Suddenly they can really retool in that division Um, you're also then talking about Deshaun Watson going to a coach in Pete Carroll. The reason why I don't think it makes as much sense, John, is because like with the value of these quarterbacks, no one's really benefiting except these QBs who don't really want to be on their teams because they have issues with what's going on with their teams. Suddenly they end up on a different team. You still may have some of those issues that are going on and all you've done really is just put a different jersey on. And neither of these teams are really benefiting from a huge plethora of picks because of the level of QB. It's an interesting fantasy trade, and I haven't seen it anywhere, which is kind of I brought it up more of just the, you know, you get Russell Wilson out of the division. Oh, no, but here comes Deshaun Watson coming in. It's like the kind of worst case for the Cardinals, if that's the spot. But I don't know if I see that as being realistic, and that I think at least is the one thing that has me at least not too worried about that happening.
1: Yeah, I've heard – I actually have heard, like, speculation on another pod about that. Um, And I – by all accounts, the notion would be Russell Wilson would just simply refuse to go to Houston. He would get out in front of it with his his agent. And maybe that's, like, the trump card for Seattle is, like, we'll deal you, but only to Houston um, for Watson. And if if you decline, then that means you really just – want to be able to pick and choose your spot yeah, instead they, of just they really both have no trade yeah. clauses,
0: which is you know that's the logical thing to look at right was just like hey, in terms of convenience what would be the well no it's know, wor- if Russell it's Wilson definitely moves out of the division been. worst case scenario would move Watson in essentially I don't <laughs> know if that the worst
1: case scenario is if Wilson gets like Carroll fired and he gets to stay long term and then the Niners somehow get Watson to me that's the worst case scenario if they just switch out for each other like that's that's not great, but, it, it you know, Watson hasn't shown to have the longevity of Wilson either. I mean, Wilson, by all accounts, looks like he could play for eight to 10 more years, which is scary, which is why getting him out of the NFC West, would that'd be the biggest acquisition the Cardinals could make in the offseason, and they would have nothing to do with it. That would affect their playoff odds more so than anything they do this offseason, if, is is if Russell Wilson left. So we should be praying and hoping every day that it, that it happens. I just think that I I think that he is trying to save face by saying, you know, I don't want to leave Seattle, but if I did, here are the teams I would go to. I think that that means that conversations have been had internally with his representatives and also with Seattle's front office people that, you know, we're going to at least see what we could maybe get. Um, Because, again, if this is a festering relationship with Pete and Russ, one of them has to go. And I think that they've already shown that they, by giving Pete all of this control after Paul Allen's death, that like he is calling the shots. John Schneider, if you remember, almost left to go and run personnel with Detroit and basically get complete control over personnel. What Pete Carroll has in Seattle is very much like what Kyle Shanahan has in, in San Francisco. John Lynch is the GM, but Kyle Shanahan like picks the players, they pick who Kyle Shanahan wants to pick. That's what Pete Carroll does. Pete Carroll is picking the players like John Gruden picks the players in, in Las Vegas. And then Schneider is kind of a, a, a better man's Mike Mayock, but he almost left to go to Detroit. So it, Pete has almost unrelentless power in Seattle right now, which is a good thing. I hope it continues to fester and it leads to Russell's departure.
0: And that's what I think what was interesting, John. We talked about it earlier with as soon as the Rams essentially said, yeah, we don't know if Goff is our quarterback, at least he is for now. It was like, boom, he was gone, you know, within a couple of weeks. We seem to be getting kind of the much more passive aggressive approach from the Seahawks. We haven't gotten anything, you know, on the record yet, but it does feel like that this is kind of more likely heading toward this sort of inevitable divorce. And a lot of that at least would be to, like we said, the timing of Arizona's benefit, uh, especially when it comes to with all of the rest of the teams in their division. Now, uh, just kind of an interesting stat to look at with how crazy the NFL has been when it comes to changes in the quarterback market. Last year was a bit of a crazy year in terms of Tom Brady being a free agent, uh, obviously at having a 43-year-old season, a little bit different. But they went out and he won a Super Bowl. And I think, John, seeing that, a lot of these teams, you know, the Saints tried for four or five years with Breeze to do it. They didn't get it done. Uh, We talked about the super teams earlier. I think that's been part of what's leading to a huge turnover in the NFL market. Uh, There's already, as of right now – There are six teams that the Arizona Cardinals will face on their schedule for 2021 that are going to be having a new quarterback. You're talking about uh, the Los Angeles Rams are having a new quarterback already in Matthew Stafford. You're looking at they're playing the AFC South. So Indy has got Carson Wentz. We can talk about him at least in a second. Jacksonville's picking at number one. Everyone basically at this point, it would be the surprise of the century if they did not take Trevor Lawrence. Essentially the most sure thing we've seen from a quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. Uh, Even Kyler Murray had questions about the ability to adapt and his height, size, Uh, We are also looking at the NFC North, where you're talking about Detroit's now got Jared Goff. Uh, The one that's interesting, I think, is... You're not quite sure about the Houston Texans. Those are six teams, you could say six games, I guess, technically, where they've got a new quarterback. Texans are interesting because at this point, you don't know if they're going to have a new quarterback because Watson's sitting out or if it's going to be part of the trade. We at least do know from people we've talked to, it seems like that they may be one of the teams that has BYU Zach Wilson as the quarterback one on their board even potentially over Trevor Lawrence. Some of that is just he's got the ability to make plays out of structure, off platform. When you see him get blitzed or uh, have pressure, he always seems to have a plan, be kind of calm and in control, uh, magnificent poise. Uh, His arm isn't quite in the same realm as Fields and Lawrence, but it's clearly an NFL arm. If the Texans are wanting him, however, you probably are going to have to be looking somewhere you'd think in the top five picks. Some of the quarterback rankings after Lawrence may be all over the place. What I think is interesting, John, is you could have up to, and this is what's crazy, you could have up to next year uh, potentially, uh, I think it would be 14 to 15 teams I could have new quarterbacks next year because you're talking about, all right, well, what does San Francisco do at the position? Russell Wilson suddenly is like, you know, putting trade stuff out there. Uh, You're talking about Carolina has seemed desperate to want to get a new quarterback. Uh, You mentioned Chicago earlier. Um, I think you could even look at a team like uh, the Dallas Cowboys potentially because, you know, Dak Prescott, everyone's expecting him to get franchise tagged if he – doesn't and ends up in a more of a, you know, sign and trade type of a thing in that situation and you know you and I I've talked about how there's definitely a potential for the likes of either Kirk Cousins or as a lot of reports are saying we've heard to uh, Sam Darnold ending up in the Bay Area and San Fran that really is a lot of teams like you'd be looking at essentially the Packers, the Tennessee Titans being the only two teams currently on the schedule that would have a quarterback that you are like sure and guaranteed that quarterback who's starting there is going to be there, especially because Seattle's now coming off that list. Uh, also at least some news that was interesting I think it was either Darren Urban or uh, who, uh, someone who mentioned uh, the expectation is the NFL is going to pass a kind of CBA update, play 17 games, take away a preseason game uh the speculation is the Cardinals would play the Cleveland Browns with that 17th game. Uh, makes sense at least you look at how they structure the schedule usually you play teams that are uh, in your division as far as you know each of the different teams that match up with the records as far as first to fourth place but if you kind of get to flex in maybe more of a fun game or maybe more of a hey here's where we get to kind of add and pick and choose a bit for what we'll do with this new game. You may are just saying, hey, we'll just make it the Thursday night game, and suddenly you look at matchups. Uh, you put Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray was a super entertaining game. Well, I mean, if you're a Cardinals fan the last time around. Uh, two former number one picks out of Oklahoma. I think that's something interesting. What are your thoughts, John, on just what are some of the teams as far as with what you're seeing from the quarterback position? Is this an advantage that Arizona can have of a lot of these quarterbacks changing teams, or could we see a lot of these other teams get tougher as the schedule next year for Arizona uh, in some cases is arguably tougher than last year because they're not playing a weak NFC East or a AFC East team that uh, basically had a really down year for both?
1: The Cardinals were really fortunate. We covered it on last year. uh, We covered it on our crossover live stream um, with Bowen Clancy, basically breaking down the backup quarterbacks they got to play, not always taking advantage, the subpar starting quarterbacks they got to play. They avoided Dak. They avoided numerous high-level starting quarterbacks throughout the duration of the year for whatever reason. They didn't have to play Tom Brady in New England, even though they lost that game. So I just, to me, Blake, At the end of the day, like, the schedule is what it is, and teams fluctuate every season. But I do think it's interesting when we look at next year's schedule. I think the biggest impact is right within their own division. I think I think Jared Goff – or excuse me, I think Matthew Stafford is an upgrade over Jared Goff. But I also think first year in the system could take a little while, and I also think Jared Goff ate the Cardinals alive. So I'm probably in a a minority camp that – was happy to see him go. Um, The Cardinals could not pressure Garrett Goff. They couldn't make him uncomfortable. He just had just a staunch reputation to light them up, and I think that that is the kind of movement. Stafford, we've seen, have good and bad days against the Cardinals. He can make mistakes. He can be turnover-friendly or turnover-happy, I should say. So that, to me, it's not a wash, because I I do think they're going to win more games, but I, I do think it's interesting. San Francisco, to me, is another one. When you look at John Lynch's comments recently, the GM for the 49ers, basically saying, like, Jimmy's our guy right now, and I don't think that they view guys like Sam Darnold or Marcus Mariota as upgrade. I think the only instance in which they would try to pursue a free agent option is if Watson were to somehow fall into their lap. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they have the ammunition at this point, and certainly Russell Wilson can't be traded within the division. I think what we're going to see happen with San Francisco is it's going to be more so of a scenario in which they they draft a first- or second-round quarterback, as a developmental guy or potentially a bridge guy um, for, for the new starter. And Jimmy's either, you know, allowed to start the season, or he's maybe he's traded on, on draft weekend if they get somebody like Justin Field, somebody who Kyle Shanahan would want to start from day one. So I think we could see San Francisco just take a little bit of a step back next year. And I know they were under five hundred this year, but if they're playing Jimmy G and counting on him for 16 games, that defense is going to be worse with Robert Sala. And then subsequently – you know, trying to play play a rookie in there. I do think that that to me does not look as daunting. I think the Cardinals, just with Kyler Murray and how he presents matchup issues for their defense, I think the Cardinals can can split with them again next year. And then, of course, if Russell leaves Seattle, then all bets are off. So I I do think that they're going to have a tougher time outside of the division. But again, things change every every different landscape in the NFL period by period can change. And we could look at a team or a division right now and say they're stacked or they're loaded. And the NFC West unfortunately has been like that for a long time, but guys get hurt guys plateau, um, you know, guys take a step back. So I, as long as the Cardinals do what they need to just surround Kyler with the, the best supporting cast he can fingers crossed for any injuries that come along, you know, around the way, I think they'll be in a position where to try to win more games than last year. But, again, nothing's for certain. But as far as, like, the, the quarterback landscape as it as it's showcased now, just a good feeling. The Cardinals don't have to be in that carousel for the first time in forever. This time last year, was also they were also in that boat. But for the longest time, they were connected to every free agent quarterback because they didn't have one. They didn't have somebody that they had drafted and developed. They didn't have a veteran that was under contract that they could count on. Palmer and Warner seemingly were every year, it was year to year, because you didn't know about their injuries or the fact that they might retire with Kevin Cobb and John Skelton, they were never good enough, but then you couldn't find an upgrade, just a brutal place to be. And then you get Rosen and you played so poorly his first year, you had to move off of him. Now with Kyler Murray, he's an unquestioned starter. He's an unquestioned, in my opinion, a top 10 quarterback. And they're in a camp with probably about, you know, 18 teams that feel very confident in what they're going to trot out week one. And there's, then there's that group of like nine to 12, that are going to be in a kind of a scary place that they're just kind of crossing their fingers. If, you know, if you're Dallas, you're crossing your fingers that Dak is okay. Daniel Jones, who knows, Philadelphia, Jalen hurts. What, what's going to happen there? Washington. They don't have a starter under contract. Chicago, same thing. Jared Goff with the lions first time with a new team. You know, the, the, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, but the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk cousins going into his last year of his deal. Matt Ryan's 36. Carolina doesn't want Teddy B, you know, uh, Winston, is he coming back? Is Taysom Hill starting in new Orleans, you know, Tampa's locked in and the Cardinals are locked in, but you look at, you know, the AFC, there's a lot of dysfunction as well. I mean, what's going on with the, you know, new England, New York, the NFC, AFC East in general, there could be three new quarterback changes Tua could be jet setted. you know, that new England needs a starter. Cam could be gone. The jets could move off of Sam Darnold. There's so much turnover because I think what has happened for the good teams in this league is they have looked at the ceiling that they have with some of these traditional QBs. And they look at these outstanding young playmakers at the position that Buffalo has and Arizona has, and, you know, Houston has coincidentally enough. And of course, Kansas city has with Mahomes. And they say to win a super bowl this year, unless you're Tom Brady, you have to be one of these dynamic young playmaking quarterbacks. And so if you've got just kind of these placeholders, like just San Francisco does, they're just kind of like, well, shoot, we're stuck now. We don't know what to do. We'll just keep him until a better option presents itself. And so that's why I think that we've seen a very limited market for, and rightfully so, for like Mariota's of the world and Sam Darnold's of the world, because most teams are like, we'll just keep our capital. And we'll just, you know, we'd rather try to go all in with a Watson or a Wilson or, you know, I don't think Matthew Stafford is a dynamic quarterback athlete, but he certainly was the number one overall pick for a reason. And I think he's, he's, he's got a proven track record. So, you have to be special at that position. You can no longer just be – I mean, San Francisco showed you. They had a stacked roster two years ago. They had the best defense in the NFL, above average offensive line, good skill positions. good young head coach, and they couldn't hide the deficiencies of their quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is on that same playing field when he's healthy as the Kirk Cousins, the Matt Ryans, you know, lesser Mitch Trubisky's, Daniel Jones. You're not ever going to win anything with those guys. And you can you can stay employed for a little while if you're a head coach, and you can win maybe a division title or two, but it's not a recipe for sustained success. What's being sustained right now is what Mahomes is doing, what Lamar Jackson is doing, what um, Josh Allen is doing. That's where we're going to see the longevity of these new era quarterbacks. And the Cardinals are fortunate. They have one. Of totally, those. John. They the next few years, I think, it it will off. be
0: key. A lot of that, like we even talked about and you mentioned um, – is going to really depend on can the Cardinals take advantage of, as we're talking about, a weak NFC. And uh, I think, like you said, a lot of teams are saying, hey, like, we've got a quarterback, Pat Mahomes moves in. Suddenly people realize, okay, we got to get better. It's like, even if we're doing good, we can do more. And uh, there is a level of you do need to, at some point, be able to be satisfied with the quarterback that you have I mean like uh, the thing I think about all the time is the Lions going from what seemed like a perpetual wild card team to being a team that basically picked in the top five seemingly every year after that um, there's a level you need to be able to recognize of eh, you probably need to be able to at some point be content Niners when you look at how Garoppolo when he's been healthy they've essentially had a you know they went five and zero when they traded him from New England and then they had that 13-3 and season where they won the following two games to get to the Super Bowl so it's basically a 20-3 and record with Jimmy G some people could say maybe a lot of that Shanahan we've still seen that there's been evidence that the Niners with their backups can still go out and win games and be competitive and Jimmy's just one of those guys who they're better with him I think if you got them a stud quarterback that would have a lot of people questioning you know are they going to be able to make that leap into being a perpetual type of winner? And we'll end up seeing if that's the case. One thing that we do know for sure with Arizona is part of this opportunity does come down to not making the same mistake that we've seen from a team like the Seattle Seahawks and ensuring that they're protecting Kyla Murray. And uh, this week, uh, today actually, from when we're recording on Thursday, uh, offensive line coach Sean Coogler, he had a glowing review of him we can get to here, but he talked a bit about painting almost a new picture for the offensive line. It seems like they kind of went back, saw some of the film, watched how guys had played, and we talked about this previously. They came to a similar conclusion, which was that the offensive line has got to get upgraded, particularly when it comes to the center position. Uh, They also talked a bit about Josh Jones and his positional flexibility. We'll get into some of that, but uh, talk a bit about what we're seeing, at least from Kugler, and just kind of, I think, the Almost you could say the lack of confidence in Mason Cole moving forward, or you're at least think he's going to be having competition with Lamont Galliard. And you and I both think there's probably a good chance the Cardinals are going to chase bringing in some sort of veteran and having a replacement, no matter what, starting for Cole in 2021.
1: Yeah, he, there's no speculation. In, in my opinion, Kugler came out and said that there's an open competition at center and I don't think he was just alluding to, like you said, like the two guys on the roster. And if you're Mason Cole, I'm not saying pack your bags, but I do think there's a good chance that he could be jet-setted or he just is a backup because I think they like his versatility. Um, so I probably jumped the gun earlier when I tweeted that he's gone because I think he did a fine job as, a, as the sixth lineman and could play guard in a pinch, but he, he can't be the team's starting center. Uh, I circle back to Week 17. He got Kyler Murray hurt when he failed to block a rotational backup defensive lineman for the la rams that was replacing michael brockers and that ended up knocking kyler out of the game he led the nfl for centers with uh false starts i think was five on the season he just he did not look the part they gave him every opportunity to succeed that was his second year under kingsbury he just to me i don't think he's a miss as a third rounder i just think he's not an nfl center that you want that you would be able to to every and every go to battle with and, and convert short yardage. And so, to me, like, that was very evident. The Cardinals are going to have, I believe, a new starting center this year, whether it be um, Lamont Gilliard or, like you mentioned, Blake, I do think they're going to target a free agent center of note, whether it's Lindsley from Green Bay. We'll have to wait and see. He's going to be highly, you know, a, a, he's going to be highly prioritized by a lot of teams, and he's approaching 30 years old. But I also don't think that if you go with a rookie, that just doesn't make sense for you're going to start a rookie 16 games with Kyler Murray, and there's no transcendent rookie center that could come in and be just a, the star like the Colts had a couple of years ago with the kid from Alabama. So in my opinion, I think that you know I've been pretty set on them adding this free agent, wide receiver, and quarterback of note. I think that now, based on Cooler's comments, when he's been given access to say that to the media, Blake, that's coming from upstairs. That's coming from Cliff Kingsbury. The, the first big signing from this team could be center. So that's number one. Number two is I thought it was interesting that he said they like Josh Jones' positional flexibility. And to me, that speaks more to the fact that could he play guard next year and would they potentially, and I know Bob McManaman immediately shot this down when I put it out there, but could they potentially kick him at left guard? And you've got Justin Murray, who they've committed, and what I think is starting money, especially in a pandemic Cap driven reduced year. I think Justin Murray is your right, right guard of the future, at least for this year. Uh, could they put Josh Jones at left guard next to DJ Humphreys and, and save what is it between seven and nine million dollars against the cap with jo- Justin Pugh? That's a lot of turnover. That's essentially you're, re- you're flipping your whole interior offensive line with, with three new starters, assuming they upgraded center but I also, also think you get two young athletic guards to come in and see if you can build around those two, and, and Jones especially I think has got a bright future. And I liked what I saw from Murray in spare in spared starts last year. Uh, I think he grew a lot in the 2019 season. So then if that happens or if they are set on keeping Jones at guard, what does that mean for right tackle? Which I think that he could still end up playing right tackle, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think in today's NFL – Outside of left tackle, there's a huge difference between your right tackle and your interior offensive lineman because of the interior pressure that is so critical on opposing quarterbacks, the fact that the Cardinals were so poor in short yardage, they couldn't move people up front, their interior offensive line was soft. Um, if Jones can come in and provide a spark and an impact as a third-round pick, awesome. To me, that signifies you've got Marcus Gilbert under contract but he cannot be counted on. I would go out and try to resign Kelvin Beecham for another year contract, he was more than capable last year. Again, the Cardinals had very good tackle play last year. The issue was interior pressure. So if you're coming in, you've got your two starting tackles from a year ago, and you're doing some interchangeable stuff up front in the interior, that's, that's easier to handle. Um, so I do think if they're, if they're set, we'll know early on, Blake, if they re-sign Kelvin Beacham, what the plan is for Josh Jones and maybe what the plan is for Justin Pugh. Again, a lot of turnover. A lot of moving parts. I never think it's a bad thing, though, and I know people were kind of freaking out on Twitter this morning. Never a bad thing when you've got Sean Coogler's seal of approval and you're just getting younger and more athletic. And I know Beecham would be a veteran, but, like, you look at Humphreys, who's in the prime of his career, should have been a pro bowler last year. Somebody like Josh Jones coming in as a second-year player needs to play, I think will be a starter. Then upgrading the center position with a pro bowler and, and potentially Lindsley or somebody like that. Um, And then the right tackle position or right guard position um, could be up for grabs, but you could put Justin Murray in there and and kind of see what happens and maybe draft a developmental guard. I just think that younger, more athletic, not journeyman players, guys that have been entrenched in your system, giving them a chance. And who knows? Maybe Mason Cole could come in and, and be a plug and play guy at right guard. I just think that the biggest thing I took away from today, Blake, anxious to get your opinion on it, is the Cardinals, I believe, are set to move on from Mason Cole's as their starting center. Yeah,
0: and I think, honestly, you and I talked about it a lot. We went back and we watched some of the games, and it was just kind of apparent that Cole was at least, when you brought him in first to the team, he was kind of a guy that really helped solidify things in the midst of A.Q. Shipley going down, being injured, similar to how we saw Rodney Gunter take over for Corey Peters, but you at some point have a level of play and a level of strength And there's a ceiling that every single player has. And what we kind of saw was it wasn't Mason Cole so much as it was kind of his job to lose to A.Q. Shipley when Kyler came in and he lost it. And that was one of the cases, at least, where you could say, all right, either he's going to pull a Bobby Massey. But there was always questions, even dating back to the senior bowl with his snaps, about some of the functional strength. And we saw this year a lot of what we noticed was that there was solid play from the two tackles that we got. We saw Justin Pugh had probably his best season as a Cardinal, and the struggle that the team had was rotating a few guys in and out of right guard. Um, We saw at least how Lamont Galliard was able to make some guys move at center, and really it was just Cole was not very strong in anchoring each of the – there's also, I think, even some of the bad snaps that happened, some of the penalties. It just kind of got to the point where after Zane Gonzalez was benched, you saw the veteran come in. It was almost like he kind of took on being the guy who – kind of got his jersey number called in week in and week out. And that's not a place you want to be as an NFL player. I think that's been part of why the Cardinals are able to speak, frankly. Um, It is interesting to look at if the Cardinals are going to be aware of that being a spot to upgrade. I think that's a solid choice because that was the biggest thing that I saw entering this offseason, John, was, hey, like, you're probably fine at tackle. You want to look at the interior offensive line. If they did move Jones to the interior, that'll be something as far as, you know, are you going to? I think if you had taken him, say, say the Cardinals had traded back to 16 to 20 and you're taking him, you know, in that position overall as a tackle and then you move him over to guard, you're probably having a lot more fans who are upset with it. The fact that he was a third round pick, you're at least wanting to say, hey, he's going to have a starting spot. You want to be able to see some of those picks hit. It's not as much of a concern. I think that's where you want to show, you know, if you're getting value in the later rounds after day one. Um, And on day two, that at least you can count as a win no matter what. If they do feel he's positionally versatile, then that gives you the ability to look at maybe, and this is what I said, maybe less that it's a negative for Josh Jones of, oh, he can't play tackle, we got to move him to guard. I felt that it was more of a positive of they really liked what Kelvin Beecham did last year. And despite the fact that he's a bit older, you can look at, hey, we've got we got Gilbert under contract. And with all these teams having limited cap room, like I don't think that there's going to be a team that's going to line up to pay for a 33-year-old Kelvin Beecham. You can probably get him on the veteran minimum again next year, have him and Marcus Gilbert be kind of your you know one-two punch at right tackle um, considering the fact that Gilbert's still under contract and if Josh Jones ends up outplaying some of those guys cool but I think it would make a lot more sense to have him compete with the likes of Justin Murray if he can end up showing up and do better you're talking about Humphrey being good you're talking about Gilbert or Beecham being there you got Jones and Justin Murray Uh, the thing that's interesting at least is I kind of lean toward as much as I get fans would love to see some of that cap space be freed up The way that I look at it is, okay, let's say that you free up cap space and you let go of a starter. Suddenly, you're talking about, okay, we've got to upgrade our center position And we have to go out and get a starter to replace a starting left guard. You're not necessarily getting better so much as you're kind of having to take a hit at that spot and then try to get better for that while still having a hole elsewhere. As far as for where it goes, I don't think that there's a need to move on from Justin Pugh. I think that you're looking at the amount of money, what he was paid. I think that if he has another season next year, like he did this year, you're looking at that contract saying it's fair value. He brings a lot of leadership to the team. Uh, a good edge. I don't think that you want to mess with that too much by saying, hey, we could try to get rid of him and then pay a bit more for a Joe Thune. Maybe that's one thing, but I think what I would say more likely is you would look at upgrading that center position, bringing in a new face to add to the likes of Pew on the line. And then if you're talking about, and this is where we can get into some of the, the three names I think you can watch for Cardinals fans. The first one that I would look at, and this is going to be starting from kind of the youngest to oldest, would be Creed Humphrey, the offensive center. He's a left-handed center, which is a bit unique, but he was the starting center for Kyla Murray at Oklahoma coming out of that air raid offense. He's a guy who's not going to be like a superb athlete. Most centers usually aren't, but he's a guy who you can pull around. He's going to be a lot more athletic. He's a guy who could fit in multiple types of run schemes. We saw Lincoln Riley use a lot of versatility in his approach. Uh, he's not a guy who I think would be maybe the, quite the ryan you know as a jensen out of alabama not quite that type of a place where he's like a surefire first round center and i would even say most first round centers we see don't usually work out as much just because a lot of times you know the nfl would always say we've seen centers that go anywhere from round four to undrafted who've been able to find nfl success maybe if you're looking at the cardinals in the second round that may be one of the spots that they would have uh, i think that that would be something that it makes sense if you're talking about how the fits are. There's a couple of other center prospects. That one's I think the easiest to link in. Uh, even as we're kind of saying this, Kyler Murray uh, re- uh, retweeted at least uh, a spot for his for their teammate. Uh, we've talked about how he seemed to kind of be making maybe not a open pitch, but at least a subliminal pitch toward getting a bit more protection this offseason from his account. Uh, the other two names are both free agents this year. The one that at least that we've had kind of the most interest on that seems to make sense would be Corey Lindsley, the offensive center starting for the Green Bay Packers. He's 30 years old, so it's a bit older. He's heading the free agent market. You're probably looking at with a center between about 11 to $12 million a year You'd probably be looking at him as far as he'd want to get paid at least one more time. Like he doesn't want to be under contract with no guaranteed money at age 35 and 36. So you're talking about him wanting to hit free agency again, probably about a three-year deal or so. That would seem to be like one of your bigger, more splash landings. He's the top center that's going to be available at least out there on the free agent market. And there's not a whole lot of other centers that are available that are going to be as young as he is. It's not a whole lot just available in this free agent class in general. And as a result, he's probably going to be the most competitive. You're going to be talking about the Chargers and uh, even a team like the Steelers, I believe. They just saw some of the Pouncey brothers retire. They're looking to protect the likes of Herbert. There could be a bit of a bidding war for him. And that's why the one thing that is kind of interesting also is... Um, One that was mentioned today, I believe, with John Gambadoro. I'd forgotten he was a free agent up until it was there. Uh, 35 year old Alex Mack, guy you could probably get on a one year deal. A lot of teams are going to be giving these small deals. Players aren't going to be taking these big deals. Uh, he's been kind of a steady force. I think the question that you would have with him is, okay, are you fixing the position for the long term? Or are you just kind of putting a Band-Aid on it and solidifying it for a year and then kind of trying to AQ Shipley it or well, he's going to be back here for another two or three years and not really having so much of a future at the position so much as just kind of addressing the need in the intermediate uh, maybe the best case scenario, if you paired a Mac with the likes of a Creed Humphrey, you'd obviously be sitting a second round pick. If he did fall to you there, he may go earlier than where the Cardinals are picking would be interesting. But what are some of your thoughts, John on Creed on Lindsley and on Mac? Cause I think you and I have both agreed. If you're trying to win now with Kyler Murray, the guy who makes the most amount of sense would probably be Lindsley. Even if you could save a bit more dollars to bring guys in with the likes of Mac or by starting a draft pick.
1: Yeah, I think to me Creed <laughs> that I think that's the only situation in which I could see them doing it for Kyler but there's no assurance that like you're going to take him at 16 and then if you don't take him at 16 like there's a strong possibility he could be gone. I just to me that's the only uh, scenario in which I think they could draft a kid right away and then play him because you'd have Kyler's blessing. Kyler's like retweeting pretty highlights right now on twitter you know the, uh, as we're recording this podcast so he's a fan of him clearly based on their time in oklahoma and i do think he'll be a good pro um and if he were like guaranteed to be there and in the second round for the cardinals i think that and who knows he could he could make himself a first round pick here in the next month or so uh, and the cardinals could trade down but i just to me i think veteran is the probably their their priority their choice gilliard's young Cole they drafted didn't work out. I think that they would like to go with a veteran. And while I Mac is fine to me, I just think that it, like you mentioned it, this Lindsay situation could play into their benefit because of the fact that the reduced cap, shorter deals for some of these teams, you could convince him to take a high annual value for like let's say one to two years instead of having to do, you know, a backloaded agreement. And you could you could convince him to come to Arizona. Uh, Cause he's going to have options. And my guess is it's it's going to really depend on who offers the most, but if, if we're just doing shorter deals for a higher annual value, the Cardinals are in a good position to offer that. Even with their limitations this year, you could do a two year deal and just bloat it to the point where, you know, he's one of your top rated player top paid players on your team and it wouldn't kill you. And, and that also is going to showcase the Kyler Murray. And I think this is an underlying part that we need to highlight is that you are making conservative efforts as a franchise, to upgrade his offensive line, to up- upgrade his offensive weaponry into next year. So there aren't any excuses. If the, if the team performs poorly, it's going to be on everybody else. It's going to be on Cliff Kingsbury. So I, I'm all for that. I've warmed up to that notion because of the fact that what we talked about, Blake, is that they're going, I, I fully believe they're going to go all in this year. They're going to go all in to save their jobs, to make the postseason, to keep Colin Maria happy. And that to me, that's probably the right approach for, for where this franchise is. They haven't reached the postseason since 2015. They've got a dynamic young quarterback who's on his third year of his deal, who's shown you he's ready to get to that next level. You have to surround him with, with pieces, and a developmental center in the draft is not that. And so if they're, if they're set on upgrading that piece, Lindsley, to me, is the only, is the, in my opinion, the only option is to come out, they want a free agency, and you get a little notification that Adam Schefter says Lindsley's going to the Cardinals on a two- to three-year deal. That, that to me, if you're, if you're set on doing this,
0: that's what you have to do. And then that'll be something at least to see what will be the difference between Splash and, uh, like we said, the Cardinals have the ability in a couple of ways to be able to make things work. They already did that with DJ Humphrey's contract. Uh, that'll be something I think we'll be curious. You look at the Cardinals with how they, we talk about it a lot as we kind of wrap up our show here. They spend a lot and invested a ton into the offensive line and have not gotten really anything out of it up until I think it was the year 2000 and uh, 2015, that was part of where you got to see the Valdir signing pay off. You had Massey in his last year. You had a steady center, at least, that came back in Lyle Sendline. And Mike Upadi, at least, had a healthy stretch. We were able to see that run game essentially take off with Chris Johnson and then David Johnson. That was part of where Cardinals were essentially, in a lot of weird ways, kind of on their way to having a, you know, a 1,500 yard rusher or so that season under Arians. Looking at how things are structured, you're probably looking at at least if you did sign the likes of Lindsley, uh, you'd be having at least two years from 2021 to 2022 of having the likes of DJ Humphreys, who's just coming off of his best season, has been healthy two years in a row. You've got a guy you're optimistic about in Josh Jones, who either is going to be your tackle on the outside or could flex into play your guard. You've got Justin Pugh is under contract up until next year. Uh, you know they have a, uh, a hit at least for that one this year in 2021 of the contract uh, uh, but he's signed through 2022 and then you would have if you added Lindsley to that you're assuming you know it's going to be on a least multi-year deal you're talking about then at least having four of your linemen consistent and playing ultimately at probably a high level that's probably the best case scenario you can ask for For the Cardinals, considering the fact that we've talked about it, John, they've got plenty of needs to be able to help with, whether it's weapons or other aspects. We've seen how Kyler seems to like to be able to sit back in the pocket, survey the field, and make some of the different throws. Uh, He's not a guy who will run like Lamar Jackson. He's a guy who will scramble when he needs to, but ultimately he's a guy who wants to have a long career and we don't want to see this be a Russell Wilson type situation for the Cardinals. And I think at least to their credit, Cardinals know that they've been able to at least make some good acquisitions. Um, And I think just kind of any other final thoughts we have on the offensive line for wave right now, because right now it's weird to kind of be optimistic to a degree, but I think the fact that we've been able to see from what I would argue that the offensive line, it wasn't like it was elite for the Cardinals I don't even know if you could say that it was great. Um, I think that you got to see a lot of strong run blocking. You got to see a lot of Kyler Murray's legs be able to help. There was evidence, at least last year, the Cardinals – and how they always were, you know, Cardinals offensive line was almost a meme throughout the, you know, 2016 to 2014 seasons for how bad they were. Is there evidence to see that they're starting to turn the corner, or is this kind of a spot where maybe we're just kind of talking ourselves into some of this optimism, specifically because of the franchise quarterback that is Kyler, and especially considering just how mobile he actually is?
1: I think, yeah, Listen, do I think the Cardinals' offensive line was better than it has been historically for this franchise? I do. I think that they had the best left tackle play they've had probably since I've followed the team as a young man, uh, since Lomas Brown in the early 90s. Um, their interior offensive line leave, left a lot to be desired, and it was unfortunate because guys like Sweezy played really well last year, and then they just he just really fell off a cliff this year um but I thought Kelvin Beecham was fantastic. Pew was solid for the most part. It was just really cold and sweezy in that right guard position that was struggling. And you also didn't have Max Williams playing, you know, full 16 games and he's such a presence in the run game, but I as long as they have Sean Coogler, as long as they give him options with young athletic dynamic players that he can mold, that's the that's the way to do it. You just you we've talked about it forever on this podcast, Blake. You do the Saints mod mod where you're just like you're you're drafting Late first, second, third round guys, and you're sitting them and you're plugging and playing them into your system like a year from then. And that's how they've developed so many consistent pro bowlers along their offensive line. I think the Cardinals could take that same approach. And I think that Murray has shown you that, number one, he doesn't really like to get hit. Who does? He's not somebody who wants to be on the ground consistently, even as a runner. He wants to be that, that pocket passer uh, with increased elite mobility. Let him be that. Let him dominate the intermediate passing game. Give him a chance to, you know, out-duel out some of these elite quarterbacks from the pocket. They were so reliant on him using his feet in the latter half of the season when they really fell off because the offensive line began to deteriorate because the run game was so disappointing. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Kenyon Drake didn't average four-point yards per carry the final seven games of the season except one time. He only had 200-yard rushing yard games last year that's a, it's an issue in and of itself and that and they're going to address running back. But I just think that whole unit on top of the receivers, really it's like you've got like three to four players that you can be high on with this offense. And then it's like, where can we upgrade? Where can we get better? And I think that that's a good place to be as a fan because it's like, okay, what they target and who they target in free agency may not be your first choice, but like they are not in a position where this isn't a 2015 roster where you can go out and get a Chandler Jones and be like, we've upgraded our biggest weakness by and large, and we're going to be a Super Bowl team. I know it didn't work out in 2016, but they have holes everywhere on this roster, even with their, their top-heavy all-pro nature of guys like Buda and Hopkins and Kyler and Humphreys and some of these you know younger players that were high on like Simmons. Like, they could go out and you would not get an argument from the majority of fans if they upgraded like three of the five positions on the offensive line or if they added – two receivers or if they added a star running back or another tight end like that that's all in play and that that allows you to cast a wider net but to me this team just needs to be in a position where they're supporting Kyler on that side of the ball whatever it means get high-end caliber players in march so that you can show your franchise quarterback that we're making an effort to get this unit to where it needs to be and I, by all accounts, it looks like they're going to do
0: that. That's what the hope is, John. The hope, I think, is for Cardinals fans to look at this opportunity with Kyler Murray, knowing that you're probably going to be paying him a lot, knowing what you have, uh, not just necessarily with Kyler to keep him where he does sign that big deal and stick around for, uh, you know, hopefully years and years to come in a Cardinals uniform, uh, but to be able to also just get an accurate measure of the job Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury are, are doing because, John, like... We're getting to the point where this is going to be year three of Cliff. We're also talking about this is going to be year four of Steve Kind. We signed that five-year extension way back in 2000, uh, coming off the 2017 season. It's going to be a good time to be able to recognize, are the Cardinals moving in a direction that you want them to? And uh, I think that's the important aspect, is you don't want to have any type of excuses or other reasons that can be left over. Leave it all out on the table. Do the best job that they have. And if not, it's going to be probably a time where the Cardinals, if they do decide to change things around, like you're going to be then looking at least hopefully at an opportunity that the Cardinals have never had where, you'll be able to land a coach who wants to work with your star quarterback who's got talent around them in DeAndre Hopkins and hopefully has a few star players on the defensive side with athleticism. Uh, you're at least looking at an aspect where we're hoping, John, that this is going to be the start of the Cardinals being able to move forward into a winning contender year in and year out, something that we have not really seen from the team uh, consistently in their history. Uh, thanks again so much, guys, for joining us. I know it's a little bit kind of a... Of, uh, Later this week, we'll be having hopefully more focus on the draft as it comes up, looking at some prospects. Uh, We'll also be probably having a couple of guests on as well in the upcoming shows for the next few weeks. Um, Be able to look at not just the draft as far as with how it pertains to Arizona, but just kind of thoughts on some prospects. And, of course, free agency is coming up. It's just a few weeks ago from where about a year ago, a year ago, Johnny, you had that uh, retweet, at least, of Adam Schefter, of like, oh, Cardinals have traded David Johnson, gotten value for it for each of those things. You had the slight lull, and then Cardinals have traded for DeAndre Hopkins. And that was one of the kind of thrilling things that we got to discuss last year. We'll be looking forward to hopefully having something similar in a splash for that. In the meantime, uh, where can our listeners find you and your content?
1: Yeah, of course, here weekly on the ROTB podcast with Blake, revengeofthebirds.com in the written form. Uh, I know Periscope goes bye-bye here in about a month, so we'll find some new and innovative ways to get some live streams going for, for you guys. We appreciate the support. I can't tell you how great it is when my direct messages are, are flooded with people asking when the next pod's going to drop. So that means more to us than than you guys have any idea, and hopefully you'll be rewarded here with some – some uh, a really fun off season of Cardinal football, and who knows, maybe some new uniforms in the process as well.
0: I <laughs> uh, gotta, gotta always go and mention the uniforms, at least. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's good that you're going to be coming out to see this on a local level, John. I know that hopefully it will be the spot where the pandemic, at least, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Never take anything for granted, but you know, a lot of Cardinals fans are hoping to be back out there ready for the tailgate and getting to catch a live Cardinals game. Hopefully, that'll be something, at least, that we'll be able to experience this fall as well. In the meantime, thank you guys again so much for tuning in. You can find our our podcasts everywhere on apple podcasts spotify uh, places obviously like himalaya iheart stitcher as far as wherever you find your podcasts and as always at revenge the birds.com you can follow our twitter account there specifically for some of our content and our podcast episodes at @rotvpod pod on twitter thanks again so much for tuning in and go cardinals all right brother i'll talk to you soon thanks again